you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back that you can grab and uh, read along with us. There will also be verses on the screen for you uh, as we walk through it. Um, just by a word of announcement, um, a lot of you guys know Abby Cozzini, who's our director of Burden Kids. She had Emery Jade this morning, was born. So a uh, huge congratulations to Abby. Um, her and uh, Josh are doing well, and uh, that's their second. So now, um, those of you that know Britton, he has a sister. Uh, so it's going to be fun seeing them uh, grow in grace as they shepherd that family. Um, I just wanted to do one thing. This is appropriate. Um, one of the reasons I, I love uh, walking through books of the Bible, that's what we love to do here, is just walk through uh, just line by line, verse by verse, section by section, chapter by chapter in the books that God has kind of stirred in the elders to teach and preach, and we just kind of take time to walk through that so that we can see the full counsel of God. And here's, what, here's the great thing. You don't have to worry about hitting any topic because the Bible covers every topic. And um, Jesus is going to deal with an issue this morning that none of us have ever dealt with, and that's anxiety. Right? And worry and fear. Um, and this couldn't be more appropriate for the season that we live in today, not only with our own just uh, imperfect selves with residual effects of the fall that reside in us, but um, coupled with uh, just the things that are happening in politics and in the world and in uh, regards to life and race and justice. Um, this couldn't be more helpful. And, and here's what I love Jesus is the most unpredictable teacher in human history. Like the things you're going to think he's going to say to kind of help you cope are usually not the things he's going to say to help you cope, and the things that really will help you cope are things that are, are unexpected, and I think that's what Jesus is going to show us this morning. So as we roll into this, I want to just plead with God to help us, because we are an anxious people. We are a people governed by our fears. Uh, we really are, and uh, we need his help. We need his truth. We need his wisdom, so let, let's ask God for that help. God, we um, are fully dependent upon you for all things. God, not just for life, but even for understanding. God, would you give us understanding this morning, Father? We need it. Father, I pray that we would leave as a people different than when we entered because we see the truth and you say the truth sets us free and the truth sets us free from the enslavement to worry and anxiety and fear. Father, help us to understand why the things that you say are helpful and fruitful. Help us to know you more and lean into you more. Father, we also think of France how we think of the people of France, we pray, God, that they would know your justice. God, that you are a God that came to kill evil and sin and wickedness. And Father, even now you're pulling back darkness, so remind us in moments like this of, of just suffering and tragedy and mourning and grieving and confusion, that you are a God that ultimately has full vengeance, full justice on all that is wicked, all that is evil, and even now you are in the business of pulling it back and even restraining much more that could in your grace. So, Father, would you meet us how we need to be met? Would you minister to our hearts the way they need to be ministered to? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 12, this is a, a dialogue. If you, if you weren't here last week, really you got to, I think, listen to last week's sermon because this is all going to build upon each other. This, this dialogue actually started back in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. It's going to go to chapter 13, verse 9. So this is a continual discourse of Jesus and everything builds on the next point. And so you got to remember last week he was uh, talking, he was teaching, he was preaching, and, and this guy interrupts him, right, as he's talking about heaven and hell and the things of God, weighty issues. 
issues, this guy interrupts him and says, hey, because I'm not content, I covet, so will you tell my brother to give me half the inheritance that he owes me? And Jesus basically doesn't respond to him, but responds to those who want to know him with a parable and basically reminds them of their mortality. He reminds them that, hey, this this life isn't forever, so when you're grafted into the kingdom of God by the grace of Jesus, then you start living for what is eternal and not just what is temporal. And he started rolling out and showing how it's, it's futile to exhaust your life for you, and it's beneficial and of greatest value to exhaust your life for him. And so here what Jesus is going to show is, he's going to show how worry and anxiety ties in to that which he just said. So, so here's basically what Jesus is going to lay before us. He's going to lay before you two things who God is, and what he's promised to those who are his. Okay, and this is so huge because many Christians live in worry, live in fear because they don't know who God is, and they don't know what he's promised them. And if you don't know those two things, what will you not do? You won't trust him, right? So if you don't know God and you don't know what he's promised you, then you'll have no basis for your trust. You'll have, have no place to stand when life piles on, when, when trials pile on. And so here Jesus is going to show us that if you don't know God and don't know who he, what he's promised, you won't trust him. And so Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. And part of being in the kingdom of God means you have unshakable reason not to worry because you're a part of it because he saved you into it. And this is what I find ironic. Um, We live in the most anxiety-filled culture while living in the most luxurious, comfortable culture. Like, Like all that we have only increases our anxiety and our worry and our fears. And we have a, a massive medical world, right? It exists to do nothing more than deal with your stress and your anxiety. Um, one of the number one prescribed medications in the US is antidepressants. One of the greatest issues is sleeplessness. People worried, people thinking. If you actually take every, I don't know if you do this, every command in the scripture, you have 613 commands just in the first five books of the Bible. If you take all of them, you know the number one that God will lay out to his people? Fear not. Do you know that? That's the number one thing. So what does that tell us that God says repeatedly to his people, hey, don't be afraid. And by default, don't worry, don't have anxiety. What he's saying is, I know by nature and choice in your sin, you're governed by your fears, and Christ came not just to free you from sin, but actually the sin of worry and fear. And so we're going to see what that looks like um, this morning. Here's why Jesus addresses worry in the midst of this dialogue. Here's why it plays here. He knows at this point... People are going, okay, Jesus, I just heard you say last week, right, for us last week, but in the course of the dialogue, I just heard you say that life, right, true life, that, that word means the fullest of depth, meaning beauty, purpose, you finding the fullest fulfillment. He said, it's not found in the abundance of one's possessions. And so they're going, okay, I hear that I need to be rich towards God. I hear that my treasure needs to be in heaven. So if that's true, if I, if I give everything to him, if I use my life for the kingdom of God, then who's going to take care of me, right? I mean, I mean if, if I'm going to exhaust my resources, my time, talents, and treasures to Christ and to his kingdom, then, then this is a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, how am I going to make it in this life? And Jesus answers it. Jesus already knows that they're thinking that, so good. You're probably thinking that too, as I was this week. And so he's going to show that when you enter the kingdom of God, you come under the care of that king. So let me just encourage you. He's going to lay before you a theology that you have heard your whole life, but is so profound. And he's simply going to say, 
God's going to take care of you. So you don't need to worry. That's all he's basically going to say. He's going to give us reasons why we can trust that. Verse 22, here's what he does. He looks to his disciples, those who want to know him and ultimately will know him. He says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, right, therefore, in light of all that you just heard, in light of the parable you just heard, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Okay, right out of the gate, this is a command. (laughs) Do not be anxious. Okay, could you imagine if you left today and you were never anxious the rest of your life? Like you never worried about anything. You had no anxiety. You imagine how happy you would be? Right, some of you are like, man, I'd be so happy. My gray hair would dissipate. I'd have a nice full head of brown hair, blonde hair, right? I mean, everything would be nice. And here's what's crazy. I think we look at that and go, well, I mean, God can't expect me to never worry, right? I mean, this seems like an impossible command, yet other commands that God gives you wouldn't think are crazy, right? When he says, hey, I'm commanding you, you should not murder. You don't look at God and go, well, you can't expect me not to kill anyone my whole life, right? I mean, you see, we just kind of like grab commands and, oh yeah, that one's realistic. Yeah, I can be restrained from that one. This one I can't. So he's laying before you a command that you can do if you are a son and daughter of the king. And you have every reason to feel and understand and walk in if you're a son and daughter of the king. Because he's been teaching about the kingdom of God, what it's like to live in the kingdom of God and what it's like to live outside the kingdom of God. And so um, here he's showing he doesn't give commands to take from you. Every command is to give life generously to you. And we know that the absence of anxiety, worry, and fear actually adds literal life. So he's giving us something we should listen to. Now don't miss the why Why not be anxious? True life, true depth, meaning, beauty, and purpose is more than food and the body more than clothes. Here's what Jesus is basically saying and getting in your head as as this continues to build. You were created, you exist for higher reasons. Like, you don't exist. God did not make you, create you, and fashion you to be a mannequin that just, like, dissolves food, eats, 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 and then kind of wears clothes and protects itself from global warming. Like, that's, you're not created just to survive. Like, that's not why you were made, right? He's going to show here that life, that true depth, meaning, beauty, purpose is found in when you realize I was made to worship God. I wasn't made just to put on and undress. I wasn't made just to eat and not eat. I was made to eat. I was made to clothe so that I would worship God and live for the kingdom that I'm a part of. And so he's going to show that you exist for a higher purpose. So when God creates you, which he has, the next step is when he has put you in his kingdom by his grace through faith alone in the cross of Jesus Christ and his person and work and protected you and satisfied the wrath of God in his son and not on you and puts you in the kingdom, adopts you into the family, which he has, he then sustains your life for the remainder that it needs as long as it fulfills that purpose. Unbelievable. Like, he's governing your life. He sustains your life. You don't have to worry. And he will keep you alive as long as he needs to fulfill that purpose in you bringing glory to his name. And he's going to show why this is actually helpful. 
because God didn't create you and then save you and then simply say, okay, try to finish this thing out. <laughs> that's not why he made you. Right? That, that's why we always say, for the non-Christian, the person who doesn't know Jesus, I mean, life, clothing, food, shelter, cars, house, that's the ceiling for you. Like, that's as high as you get. We get beyond the ceiling to, we have a God who made us, fashioned us, wired us for greater glories, greater purposes, so life now has meaning. It's not just about eating and not eating. It's not just about wearing clothes and not wearing clothes. It's about something much more deep and much more profound. And so those things take second par to what we see as first par, and God will sustain you until your purpose on this life ends. So Jesus says, why worry? Why worry about the food? Why worry about the clothes? Another thing Jesus is basically saying is, um, the world is all about fashion and food, right? I mean, that, that, that's the God of this world, fashion and food, right? And to borrow the language of Paul, um, for some, your God is your stomach, right? So uh, when you need comfort, you eat, and when you're rejoicing, you eat. So uh, rejoicing, being relieved, and comforted comes from God and not just food. Right? Are, you, are you searching after something in food that only Jesus gives? Are you searching after something in clothing that only Jesus can give? Do you wear your clothes because you try to protect a persona of you when everything looks fun on the outside, inside you're freaking out? Is it wrong to love food? No. We should eat food so it fuels us to worship God and serve his kingdom. Is it wrong to wear clothes? No. I'm actually really glad you're wearing clothes. I mean, that would be awful if you didn't wear them, right? Thank you. But I mean, is it wrong to wear clothes? No, but, but we, we fashion ourselves and live as a way to point to a God who is a God of design, a God of order, a God of delight in his children. And so here he's showing that life is more than this, that life isn't wrapped up in this. So if your whole world, if your God is food and your clothing, you're always going to be disappointed and fearful and worried because your God is that that you worship, and that will never hold up for you. You, and he's, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're gonna, we're gonna see more. So, so you could save a fortune, build bigger barns, and you're not gonna live one day past the calling God has for you on your life. That's a sobering thought. Like, it doesn't matter what you try to do, right? And we're all about, man, vitamins and all this stuff, and let's eat healthy. And I'm not saying you don't discipline yourself. I'm not saying you eat in moderation so that you can use your body as an act of worship. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying when those things become first in you and you worship them, you know your fear will only be multiplied and your worry will only grow. But when we understand that God determines our calling in this life, that kind of thinking makes you rich towards God and puts your heart in heaven rather than here, because you understand all he asks from you is to live to his glory, live to his purposes, and he'll take care of your life. Just focus on that. Give yourself to that. It's not about making sure you simply make it. He's trying to lift our eyes, brothers and sisters. That's why he gives an illustration, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. God cares for them. It's all about God's care. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? <laughs> I love that Jesus picks the raven. 
and I don't know if any of you guys know stuff about birds. I mean, a raven's basically a bat with wings. I mean, or a rat with wings. I mean, it is just, it is the epitome of birds. It basically represents death. That's why at Halloween you see ravens or crows in front of everybody's yard or in their houses. Um, that, that's what it was. It was a scavenger, worthless. No one cared about ravens, right? No, no one's going to go to a bird show to watch ravens fly. That's just, that's just not what you're going to do. Raven is not a bird that we love or a thing that we look at. And in classic Jewish form, Jesus works from the lesser to the greater. He points out a raven, says, consider the worthless bird, the raven, the, the scavenger. They don't have a barn. They're not even sowing and reaping. And yet, God cares to give them the food that they need. So as long as they're going to live, he sustains their life. The food that they need daily, he provides their food. Do you not think that he's going to care so much more for his own kids? Do you, do you not think if he's aware of the raven, what it needs, what it needs to sustain its life, that he's not going to care for you, one who is made in the image of God, you are his elected bride? You don't think he's going to care about the most prized one of creation, his image bearers? How much more will he care for us and provide the necessities of what we need? They're to- those ravens are totally dependent on God, and so are we. And if he cares for them, if he feeds them, how much more will he do that for those who are his? So Jesus says you don't spend your life worrying about whether you're going to have enough now. You don't spend your life consumed with the retirement account because God promises to sustain your life to the end of his purposes. This is an issue of understanding the divine care of God for you and the reasons that he cares for you, the reasons behind it all. Jesus isn't saying, just so none of us go crazy, um, Jesus isn't saying that um, because God provides for you, we don't work. (laughs) The scriptures command us to work hard, to to save right, to steward right. Actually, um, we're looked at in Timothy as worse than unbelievers if we don't care for our family and provide and work hard. But what he's saying is you exhaust yourself to all of your efforts that you're able, then you leave the rest in God's hands. You don't worry about the rest. That's God's deal. That's not for you to hold on to. He will sustain you after our godliest efforts are finished. It is God's to determine when we live and when we die and how we fit into the redemptive plan that he's rolling out. Wow. And I love that he puts in here, you think by being anxious you can lengthen your life? Here's what, he, here's what Jesus is revealing. Here's what he's, he's opening up our hearts to. We all live under the illusion that we have control. We buy the lie that we can do all these things in our life to protect ourselves, to to lengthen our life, to do everything. So if we can do that right, we'll be good. We forget who the author of life is and the taker of life, and we try to play the role of God. So he's saying, hold on, by by worrying, you don't have the privilege to determine the lifespan of your life, even by worrying. So why are you worrying? (laughs) Like, you can't lengthen your life. It's impossible. At the end of the day, most of us buy this. So, so think about this. I was thinking about this yesterday. Culture pours billions of dollars into industries. It gives food supplements, vitamins, exercise, medications. It's really what it is. It's an obsession to lengthen your life. Now, it's, it's good to care for your body. It's good to care for the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about trying to play a role and do something that only God can do. 
That's when fear and worry wanders into your life. And so Jesus shows here, we don't want to be here any longer than God wants you here. (laughs) That's staggering to consider, right? I mean, I don't want to be here longer than he wants me here. I pray that's long time. I pray that I get to see my kids marry other kids. I pray that I, not kids, you know what I mean. Wow, that. <laughs> People, their age. Come on. Jackson's wedding's next week. You know what I mean? Like, let's get it done. But I want to see those things. I want to hold my wife when we're old, take trips, see the glories of God. I, I want to do that. But, but that doesn't top, that doesn't supersede me being here and fulfilling my mission. I want God to take me when he should take me. I want him to take my wife and children when he should take them. I pray that's never when I see it. But I don't have an option, do I? I mean, you, you don't have an option. <laughs> you can use a taser and have them walk the dog to school and pepper spray in their hand. You can do everything you want, but at the end of the day, you are buying an illusion of full control. Doesn't mean you don't be wise. He just says be reasonable in how you think, in your theology. The reason I'm saying be careful as we go through this text is there's no virtue in the sin of gluttony. There's no virtue in the sin of laziness, right? There's no virtue in the sin of overindulgence. I am telling you, though, worry isn't going to lengthen your life because the one who has the privilege to determine when you're born and when you die is the sovereign God. Now, now we believe in the sovereignty of God here, right? That he, he rules and reigns, and so when we... Don't believe that when we worry, what you're doing is becoming a functional atheist. You're saying God isn't sovereign, God doesn't decide, God doesn't know, so I'm gonna try to step into his role, wrestle him to the ground, and then play the role for him. And here's here's the crazy thing is as we do this, Jesus is saying here, you don't need to worry. Why? Because I'm sovereign, because I'm in control, because life isn't found there. It's found in knowing that I'm good and he's gonna get into the fatherhood of God and all the reasons that we can trust him as God, ruler and maker and authoritator of all things. So what we have to get in our heads is the future is not just something that God knows about, but it's a place that he is. God is outside of time and he rules and reigns over all of it sovereignly. So you even have to think about God theologically in a way that's helpful. Like he's not just seeing things and wondering, he's actually standing there now. And his, I, I, that's, it makes so much sense to me now why First Peter will say we cast our cares on God, why? Because he cares for us. Because he doesn't just see the full line of history, he's standing in history that you're not in yet. And so we can trust the God who made it, who wired it, who fashioned it, You know, your worry will dissipate as you place your hope not in you, but in the one who controls it. That will begin to dissolve your worry. And that is why we love teaching the scriptures, so we can know God, so we can know Jesus, so that we can then trust him. That's that's why we believe that good theology results in good biography, which results in good doxology, right? So you have good theology, understand who God is, what Jesus is like, that affects the way that you live, your biography, and then that results in good doxology, which is right worship to him, which is right understanding, which is right living. Guys, there's no spot that God is not there. 
So every bit of laughter you share, every bit of food you ever taste, every bit of air that you breathe is but a gift from him. And you treasure it. And you don't worry knowing that he's giving you the breath, he's giving you the food, he's giving you the sustainment to live and to walk and to hold your head up. So I just have a question. What are you currently worried about that is really in the hands of God? What is keeping you awake at night? What is giving you sleeplessness that is truthfully in the hands of God where you have done all that you can do and now it's fully in his hands? I've sat next to people's beds in the hospital where you've been diagnosed with an illness, some, some of you here and some who have passed, and you've done everything that you could. You've taken the medication, you've sought the doctor's counsel, and at the end of the day, that's all you can do, and then you trust God. You don't grow fearful, you grow faithful. Some of you, you're out of work and you're applying for millions of jobs. You're looking, you're trying, you're searching, you, and you've done all the right things you can do. And maybe some of it's just in God's hands, though. I mean, some of you, in, in your marriage, you're doing everything that you can do. You're repenting of sin, you're forgiving your spouse, you're working towards reconciliation, you're doing all that you can, and then where do you just need to let the rest in God's hands? Where you say, I've done all that I can do, and now, God, I gotta stop being fearful and just trust that you're faithful. What are you worrying about? What's causing anxiety that you cannot control that God has? It's hard to be there, is it not? It's hard to be there. If you're a human and you've walked this line, it's hard to be there. But he's going to remind us as to why when you're there, as to why when you're in that spot, when you're in that place of does God see me, does God hear me, does God know I'm, I'm doing all that I can, he's going to remind us as to why we can trust him. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus points him to the lilies. Look at these flowers, these wildflowers that would have been everywhere. Look at how they grow. They don't work to grow. They don't work to get their clothing. Even Solomon, the best-dressed man in all of Israel, wore the finest garbs, the finest linens. Even he wasn't as beautifully clothed and arrayed like one of these lilies. If you take a, a, the petal of a flower and look under, it, under a microscope, it's staggering the design, the beauty, the, the intricacies of it. And, and, and he's saying, yes, that points to a God of beauty, a God of order, a God of design. And, and if he clothes and lavishes these flowers that are going to just die off, born today, don't really hold much spiritual value other than the point to that God is a God of delight, God of beauty, God of created order, even if that's all it does, how much more will he care clothing you and keeping you warm and provide for your needs? I mean, how much more is he going to care for you? How much more is he going to take notice of you if you're his? This is staggering, these illustrations that he's using.
how much more will he care to clothe the crown of his creation? And he says, oh, you of little faith. He doesn't say here they don't have any faith. He says they have little faith. Fear, worry, anxiety is all about a lack of faith. It's all about a lack of trusting. There's nowhere else to go. You can't find somewhere else to go. That's it. Bottom line. The root of it will always be misplaced trust. (laughs) And he doesn't say they don't have any faith. He says little faith. He's directing this to those who are true believers. He's directing this to those who will be true believers or will know Jesus to the disciples, the true learners, and he's saying it's possible for you not to worry and get anxious, and if you are, it's because you have a problem trusting me. Your faith has grown little. It's, it's shrunk, and, and here I just want to say, is he worthy of our trust? I mean, is he not worthy of our trust? I mean, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where either all that good, cute theology, some of you guys studied the Bible your whole life, you know it inside and out, you can tell me every attribute of God, yet you've got fear, anxiety, and worries, you're not putting any of that, you know, theology to practice. It's going from your head, never meeting your heart. Some of you guys just don't know anything, really. You haven't studied, you haven't grown up in that. So here, I want you to know, regardless of where you fall on the map, these truths are inexplicably consistent, that God is worthy of our trust, that you can depend on Him, that you can lean into Him if you are His. That that He's a God that, that cares for you. And Jesus reveals something here. In all of these verses we've just seen, which is we don't have an option. (laughs) And here's the crazy thing, okay? What we do is we choose to lean into our own ignorance and not into God, okay? So when we choose to lean into the, the, the one who has made us, who hasn't wired anything, who hasn't fashioned anything, who hasn't designed our bodies to work or the muscle fibers to change or the, the, even the, the things in our brain to work rightly, when we lean into that, that which is made and not the maker of it all, of course fear multiplies. So even though you've got a degree in business and God has a degree in creation, you still lean into yourself and trust you over him. Do you see how foolish that is? So we go, yeah, I know your word says that you care. I know your word says this. I know your word says that life is more than this, but let me chase the wind. Let me go after the unicorn that doesn't exist, believing somehow that maybe I learned better than you. Even though I flunked the fifth grade or didn't make it through kindergarten, right, I'm going to trust in me and not in you. So you trust ignorance and not infiniteness. That's what Jesus is getting at here, and it's, it's a way to love us. It's a way to push you towards a nice, big, view, hearty view of God. Or you're going, hold on a second. You're what was made. He's the maker. He wired you. You think that he doesn't understand how this all works out? You think when he says these are reasons not to worry that, that you can't trust him? You don't have an option. Your option is your own ignorance. Your option is your own finiteness. And he goes, I'm offering you my infiniteness, my infinite perfections, my infinite knowledge, my infinite care. So let's be honest, do we rely and trust in our own ignorance or in the one who is infinitely wise? It's a very simple question, but profound in implication. Which is why he says this in verse 29. So don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink or be worried. 
for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's calling you out of the fear. He's calling you out of the pursuit, out of the worry that the nations all seek after and pursue. The nations are those who do not love the God that you love, do not serve the God that you serve. They are not adopted into God's family. They do not love Jesus, do not know Jesus, yet you know him. He goes, so hold on. They pursue cars. They pursue heaven here, not heaven later. They pursue the temporal. They pursue life found solely in what you eat and what you wear and what you look like and fame, prestige, popularity success. He goes, man, don't, you don't seek after that. You don't seek after what the nations seek after. You know that that's but a ceiling to them. You know that what you seek after blows through the ceiling and offers refuge and security and a worry-free life that is secure for you in heaven. You know that when you're adopted into the kingdom, you don't live as temporal. You live as eternal. You, that's the way you view it. That's the way you see the lens. So he goes, I'm pulling you out of the way the nations pursue things and the things that nations think are life, where they think life is found. He goes, if you're not in the kingdom and you're not here for divine purposes, well, then what is life? What do you have to chase? Well, then that is all you have to chase. And when you chase that and pursue that as God, fear and worry and anxiety multiplies because it can't bear the weight. It can't play the role of God. It makes a terrible functional God. Yet the nations seek that. The unbelievers seek that. The unregenerate seek that. Those are all good gifts, but they're all good gifts that are meant to roll up into greater worship of the one who gave them. So we're more satisfied in the giver than the gift that you have. And when you're more satisfied in the gift that you have than in the giver who made it, fear multiplies, anxiety multiplies. And Jesus reveals something profound in this text. Don't miss it. Much of the reason you worry is because you forget the fatherhood of God. Some of you have forgotten his fatherhood. (laughs) Now, some of the reasons of that is because either you grew up with a father that was abusive, a father that was angry, a father that, hey, if you ever said anything in his presence, he would get mad at you or shake his fist or he had to walk on eggshells. And man, the God of the scriptures is a perfect father who loves his kids, right? It's nothing predicated on what you do and don't do. It's based upon his covenant love. It's based upon the scandalous grace that he demonstrated in his son. That's why he loves you because Jesus took your place as your substitute for your sins. We can actually pursue you and love you based upon nothing that you do and just out of love, right? Like no, no, no good dad has, has a newborn holding in his arms and goes, hey man, if you turn out right, I'll love you, right? No, the, it starts with the love, it starts with, man, I love you, I, I want to hold you, I want to care for you, regardless of how things shake out. And some of you guys have bought the lie that you're on this performance treadmill. You're just trying to buy love from God because you don't understand that he's a good father that loves you based upon his covenant that he made and not yours. So, so some of us worry because we've lost this, that he's a loving father. And he says, this father knows what you need. This is, so, this is so profound. He knows. Like his omniscience. Like you never have to worry if he's wondering what you're in need for. Like he actually knows your needs. 
And he knows your needs not as a jerk dad, but as a perfect dad with perfect protection, perfect providing, and what you need, not just what you want, a sovereign ruler over all things who wired you, fashioned you, shaped you, brought you into his family, put you in his kingdom. He's a good dad you can trust with unshakable confidence, loves you as his son, loves you as his daughter. This is the fatherhood of God that that he knows, okay? Oh, that we would just rest in his omniscience more, right? And, and, And here's why. This isn't a question of his power. It's not a question of his ability. It's not a question of his love. It's not a question of any of those things. It's a question of his knowledge. And if he knows and you can trust him, then you know he's gonna be good to you. So when you're in that moment of despair of, man, God, do you see this? Do you, do you see what I'm feeling? Do you, do you know? His answer is yes. And you know what I love? He's not like in the form of Jesus, right? The person of Jesus, the third member of the Trinitarian God, right? He, he comes as a man. His name is Jesus. And it says he's not like unlike pagan gods, other religions who kind of tells you to do stuff and doesn't know, can't sympathize, doesn't understand. Hebrews says that because he walked in your shoes, because he became your sin, because he lived the perfect life for you and felt the fullness of temptation and anguish and trial and suffering and rejection, because he felt that he goes, I simply sympathize with you to the deepest level. I get it. I feel it. I know it. So you can never blame Jesus for giving lip service. Ever. This isn't lip service. This is truth. This is real. We have a high priest who he says is not unable but able to sympathize with our every weakness. So we approach his throne of grace to find help in time of need. How thankful are we that we don't serve a God that, just give, that we just think gives lip service? That when he says something, we can hold on to it and trust it and lay on it. So Jesus says, what are you worried about? What are you fearful of? He's your father. He gives good gifts. He protects. He provides. He cares more than the ravens, more than the lilies. I mean, look at the evidences of that even in there. How much more does he care for you? He's sovereignly over it. You can't add a length of a day to your life. He'll sustain you for the time you need to be here. You don't need to worry about that. You need to worry about when I'm going to go, how long I'm going to stay. That's not for you to worry about. And what does this do? I'm going to end here. Because we've been freed from chasing the wind like the nations and we're secure in all that is our heavenly father, we're free to live a life which dissolves worry. He says, but seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. So instead of worrying about our bank accounts, our length of life, our food, our clothes, the dominant focus of your life is now I'm free to live for the kingdom, live for Christ, live for obedience to the word, live for holiness, live for mission, live for seeing people with souls who who apart from God will be cast into hell. Man, I just want them to know this good dad, this good kingdom that you can live in with the good care of a king. Because Jesus reminds us, hey, when you go in the kingdom, you come into the care of that great king, so you don't need to worry. Do we want our neighbors to know that? I mean, do we want them to know that they can live free of worry, free of anxiety, free of fear? That enslaves them as part of the fall, this fractured world we live in post-Genesis 3, that they've got a God that reconciles even that to Jesus? And to seek the kingdom really is to first enter the kingdom. Luke 16 later is going to talk about how it's like, it's, it's like seizing the kingdom, taking hold of it. That's the language he's going to use. So, so the first step is entering the kingdom, believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus, repenting of sin, turning to Christ. That's the first step. And then all these things will be added to you.
which is why he says and supports it with this mind-boggling statement in verse 32. So fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. (laughs) Amazing. When Jesus says that, he's not going, hey, toughen up, man. You'll be okay. This is tender. This is empathetic. Jesus is identifying with you. I know. I know. It's tempting to be anxious. It's tempting to be afraid. But hey, don't fear, little flock. Those who are mine, those who are his. Shift your fears to who your father is. Come on. Don't be afraid. He's sovereign. He's good. He knows. And look at what gives your dad delight. If there's like a verse in the Bible to highlight, circle, that one. It gives your dad in heaven, your father, the sovereign king, pleasure to give you his kingdom. Not a part of the kingdom, to give you his kingdom. All of it. His peace, his presence, his refuge, his eternity, his glory. He gives all of it. He gives you his kingdom. Those who are his, he says, I'm going to give you the kingdom. Jesus is going to say later in Luke 22, now on the screen, he's going to say, just as my father gives me the kingdom, I'm giving it to you. You're going to eat at my table. You're going to sit on my throne. You're going to reign and rule with me. He's going to give us the kingdom. Now, there's an eternal element to this, but there's a present element of this that you inherit right away as you become a son and daughter of God. You get his presence, his peace, his love, his grace, his comfort right away. You're you're an heir of that immediately. You're fused with Christ. You're made one with him. You're seated in the heavenly places with Christ for all of eternity. And that's why the reason this is so important to understand is we spend so much of our life praying and asking and chasing for things that are already yours. He's already given it to you. Like, think about just some of the prayers you pray. I mean, man, God, I really need your, your strength right now. But he says, hey, I've already given your strength that is yours in Christ. You already have it, right? Well, I really need peace right now. Remember I told you I already gave you my peace in Christ, and I said that peace surpasses understanding. Well, I really need love. Well, I already gave you my love and proved it to you in the cross of my son, Jesus. Like, like much of the things we pray for are already yours, And the Bible would say to ask for wisdom. And wisdom would say it's foolish to ask for something that's already yours. So we say, God, help me to walk in who I am. Help me to walk in the strength I have. Help me to walk in the peace that is mine now. Help me to walk in the love that is mine now given in Christ. Help me to walk in the grace that you said is sufficient that you've already provided me. Tremendous, tremendous truth that Jesus is giving. So in the two places we direct our fear, worry, and anxiety, the unseen and the seen, the immaterial and the material, he answers both with, your father knows what you need, and I gave you the kingdom. So you don't need to worry. You don't need to fear. He's going to end with this, because some of us are thinking, well, if this is true, (laughs) why isn't everybody storming the gates, right? I mean, why isn't everybody going after the kingdom? I mean, if, if, if this kingdom is true, if I get all that, if I, if I, the kingdom of God, I come under the care of this good God who's going to watch out for me, dissolve anxiety and worry and fear. If this is all true of me, why isn't everybody wanting this? Why isn't everybody trying to grab hold of this? Why doesn't everybody want the kingdom? And I love it. Jesus is being the most unpredictable teacher in the history of the world, goes after your stuff. 
Verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes after your money and your stuff, and he says, you anxious? You worried? What about your car? Jesus, I'm anxious. Yeah, I know. What about your job? What about your house? Jesus, I'm anxious. And you're like, why are you going after my stuff? And he's going, I'm trying to go after your stuff, not to take it, but to take your stress, not your stuff, because most of your stress and anxiety is tied to your stuff. So he goes, how are you living generously and yielding completely to me? Because if this is true of you, then it shapes the way you spend your time, talents, and treasures. This rolls back into what we said last week about being rich towards God. But there's something else that Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is revealing something else here. Because Jesus is trying to free you from the worship of you. Because when you worship you, anxiety and fear grows. That's why Martin Luther used to say that that true repentance is the the self-turning in on the self. So repentance is, okay, I'm God-centered and others-centered. I'm no longer me-centered. And when you live for you, you live an anxiety-filled, worrisome life. Jesus is doing something a bit upside down because here's the thing. If you were asked, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God, have salvation? And you answered and said, "Mm, you got to sell your stuff and give to the poor. You'd be wrong, Right? Right? I mean, here we believe that, that salvation, the kingdom of God, is a free gift from God solely based upon the faith he gives you and the trust in Jesus alone, right, for the payment of our sin. The personal work of Jesus alone purchases you into his kingdom, right? I think Jesus is indirectly saying, how desperate are you for the kingdom? You want me? You want my care? You want a worry-free life? How bad do you want it? Because he already laid his cards on the table in Luke 9, right? You want to come after me? You want me? Hey, die to yourself. Lose yourself, right? Lose your life. Sell all you have then. Come after me. Pick up your cross. You really want me? You want to follow me into the kingdom of God? How desperate are you for it? How much do you want it? You're going to put everything in money bags? You're going to invest your life in the kingdom and what's eternal or just on you and what's here? Like, where is your heart really? What do you really want? Do you want me or just the effects of this? Like, do you want Christ or just a worry-free life? And he's, he's uncovering this here, which is so amazingly profound because repenting of sin and entering the kingdom of God is for those who are desperate for it. It's for those who say, man, I want nothing else. This is what I have to have. You see the infinite worth of it, you go after him. That's why Matthew 13, you got the guy who says the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. The guy finds it. He finds the kingdom of God and leaves in his joy and says, I got I to gotta sell everything because then I got to go back and get that field because that field is where there's value and meaning and depth and beauty and life, right? You got Zacchaeus in Luke 19 later who sees Jesus and then Jesus changes him and he says, hey, I got to pay everybody back that I ripped off and I want to give everything, right, to the, to the needy and those who I owed. I mean, it's a totally transformed life. He sees Jesus 
Jesus is better than everything else. There's a, that's what the kingdom is for, those who are desperate. Luke 18, the man who says, man, be merciful to me. I see I need forgiveness. I see I need mercy. I see I need grace. I'm desperate for grace and mercy from God. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that the, the stacked up wages of sin for me is death, eternal death, that the wrath of God is towards me. I need someone to go in my place, in my stead, with my sin who's righteous, outside of myself. And Jesus does it. And those who see that, see the infinite worth of that, say, I want it. I want the kingdom. I'll sell my possessions. You want everything, Jesus? Okay. You don't want anything? That's okay, too. But it's a a call to die to yourself so that whatever he says is fine. If you want this kingdom, let me remind you, sell everything, give the needy, store it for yourselves in money bags that don't fall, don't fail. Invest in what's eternal. And as you do that, worry will dissolve. As you do that, anxiety will dissipate. This all circles back to the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it, in Luke 4? Blessed are those, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger for it. They thirst for it. A hunger and a thirst that's outside of themselves, that's only found in the kingdom of God, given in Jesus. The issue of worry, according to Jesus, is a matter of where your heart is. That's why often when the Bible says fear not, it often follows up with telling you who God is. And it circles back to my original statement because good theology results in biography, which results in doxology. If you really understand who he is, your life will live according to that and it will result in worship, not just managing worry, but living as a life of worship. Do you know God in this way? I just want you to hear him say to you this morning, if you are his, with full authority and full empathy, fear not, little flock. Fear not. I've got it. I created you. I gave you life, and I will sustain your life until the purposes of your life are over. So life is no longer wrapped up in you eating just to sustain yourself, you clothing just to sustain yourself. And you enjoy those things as good gifts from me, all to ultimately worship me and not them. And you remember, you can't add a day to your life through worrying. I'm in, I'm in control of that, so, so don't lean in that. Lean in me. Don't lean in your ignorance. Lean in my infiniteness. Remember, look at the ravens. Go look at the lilies. Look at how much I care for them. Am I not going to care for you so much more in the fatherhood of who I am? And then, hey, remember, I mean, you have all this because you're desperate for it. Like, you don't get this by just some little simple prayer or a chant or you get this because you want me. You get this because you see the the measure of my worth. Because you realize that you can't. You were heavy laden in your sin. You were honest about your state before me. So let me say to those of you who do not know Jesus, the greatest thing to fear is not what you'll eat today or what you'll wear or your house, or the stock market, or your retirement funds. The greatest thing to fear is the sin that stands before a holy, righteous God that only he can satisfy through his person and work of his son. So the greatest fear that we all have, that's where the gospel lays the playing field, levels it with fear. All humanity, the greatest fear we should know is him. And when you become his, you don't need to fear him anymore because he becomes your father. 
Some of you, that's what you need to fear that would cause you to repent of sin and turn to him in grace, trusting that Jesus alone break, brings you into this kingdom. Let's ask him to help us to see that and know this. God, for those of us who are in your flock, for those of us who you know by name, who you've called by name, who you've saved by name, would we hear from you this morning the warm voice of our Father, regardless of situations and circumstances, saying to us, fear not, don't be worried. From a God who's not giving us lip service, but who understands to the deepest parts of our souls and even beyond what we understand. God, would you lift anxiety this morning knowing that you're a sovereign ruler and reigner, that you're a father, that you are good in all that you do, that you sustain us, that you care for us, that you clothe us so that we can live and seek the kingdom first. You free us from worrying about the temporal so we can live for the eternal. May we give our lives as a pursuit towards Jesus and the things that you love and the mission you've called us. God, for those here who do not know you, do not serve you, do not find you glorious or beautiful, would you open their eyes this morning to the beautiful glory and weight that is Jesus? Would you cause right awe in them towards the God who made all things, who is holy and just and righteous, who demands righteousness from us and in our inability to give it, sends Jesus the gift of righteousness, the blameless, spotless lamb who lives for us in our place perfectly obedient, even to the point of death, on a cross, takes the wrath of God, satisfies all that's necessary for sin, and rises, validating that he did it and paid it in full, and the debt that we owed is credited to Jesus, and his righteousness is credited to us. God, would some this morning repent in that glorious truth and turn to you and enter the kingdom? Would they know it's for weary sinners? Would they know it's for those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, would we remember that your broken body and shed blood alone is what causes worry and fear and anxiety to dissolve? That it's all because of what your son did that we can live a life that is free from the burdens of these things. Help us to obey this beautiful truth and command, not for our begrudging submission, but ultimate joy and fullness of life. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, as we uh, take the Lord's Supper, which we do, um, I want to encourage you, if, if, if you're not a Christian, that this, this isn't for you. We want you to know Jesus, repent of sin, trust Jesus. This is for those who know him, love him, have given their lives to him. And it's where we just celebrate that, that this broken body and shed blood is what purchases for us all the reasons why we can trust God, all the reasons why we can live a life under his sovereign rule and reign in great joy and not great fear. Um, Maybe there are areas of your life you just need to confess worry to him, confess some anxiety to him, confess some fear in him, ask him to take that, ask him to remind you this week of the truths he's laid before you, and then come enjoy, and let's take together, and let's continue to sing and thank him for who he is.